people might think of it as automation is opposite of people or, you know, exclusive of people. But I really think, again, the approach and the mindset is it's about people, actually. Automation is about people using robots. It's about how do we bring the people along, include them in the process, help them understand this is for their benefit. Welcome to the Future Of, a podcast by Fresh Consulting, where we discuss and learn about the future of different industries, markets, and technology verticals. Together, we'll chat with leaders and experts in the field and discuss how we can shape the future human experience. I'm your host, Jeff Dance. Welcome to the future of. It's my pleasure to introduce this episode focused on the future of industrial automation. I'm excited to have some uh, automation experts here as we think about the future being more automated and changes coming quicker than expected. Uh, here with me, I have Sean Busby and Marco Micheletti. And these are folks with a lot of experience, broad experience in the industrial automation space. Sean, if I can start with you, would you care to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Jeff. Um, Sean Busby, and I've been working in systems integration for the last uh, about 14 years of my career, um, working for a systems integrator, owning my own systems integration company. And now I manage a local systems integration practice for a large consulting firm, Barry Miller Design Group. Nice. Yeah. And looking at your experience, it seemed like you had a lot of broad experience and kind of a lot of different aspects of this space. You've been able to see a lot. That's why I was really interested in getting your, your opinions. My career has taken me all over the U.S. to a lot of different manufacturing facilities and industries. So very broad variety of experience and you know automation that I've, I've been exposed to. Nice. How big is the company that you currently work with? Uh, we have 1,500 engineers kind of spanning across oil and gas, architecture. We have our systems integration practice, a few others, but about 350 control systems engineers in our systems integration practice across uh, 44 offices in the U.S. And we also have an India engineering team as well. Awesome. Thanks for being here with us. Marco, if I can pass to you, if can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for the introduction, Jeff. I'm Marco Micheletti. I'm currently the Director of Automation at Fresh Consulting. So here at Fresh, we have a team, we lead a team of about 50 engineers, and we're addressing all aspects of uh, automation as well as product development and other uh, fun, challenging problems. I spent you know, a good portion of my career, I would, I would consider myself a builder and builder of products, builder of uh, processes, builder of organizations and fun aspects of automation. And I think like Sean, a lot of my experience in the manufacturing space early, early in my career took me many places across the globe. And we got to see the seeds of automation and how everybody on different continents were approaching this in their manufacturing operations. And that re- that's really what inspired me to steer my career more into automation and building upon what I've done in the manufacturing supply chain space. Great. Yeah, one of the things Marco and I met at the a Future of Robotics conference, and one of the things that impressed me a lot when we met was seeing some of your automation experience, seeing some of the projects you're working on. I remember entire warehouse, you know, of like robots and machines automating the production of a, a high volume sort of output line and and seeing the breadth of, you know, dozens of machines making things happen without a lot of maybe not a lot of human interaction. I thought that was really impressive to think of the sophistication of things you've seen across the globe. 
I'm really so excited to have you here with us. Before we get started, you know, this is this is a deeper topic. We're talking about the future and a lot of changes are coming as a result of the pandemic. Can I start with just what do you guys do for fun? What's something you do for fun before we kind of go deep? Yeah, I'll actually start really quick because, you know, one thing uh, Sean and I didn't know is that we both get up to the mountains every once in a while and we bumped into each other at the race course. We were actually, uh, our teams were racing against each other in a weekly uh, racing league. Yeah, we, there's a local beer league, so to speak, here in Seattle that's uh, actually one of the largest in the country. There's like 700 participants. It's like four nights a week. Uh, so I've been doing that for like 14 years. I like to coach junior ski racers as well. But this season's pretty short here in Seattle. So since I've lived here, I've gotten into sailboat racing. And that has become kind of my thing. So six months of the year, I'm doing about 50 sailboat races with my team. And I've got a boat. And that's been really fun. Along that theme, I'm, I'm trying to get into the aquatic sports as well and, and try to enjoy some of the summer weather in the Puget Sound area on the water as well, which is an exciting aspect and a great way to uh, spend time with the family. Nice. Water sports and snow sports, you're my type of people for sure. So excited to talk uh, more about that after the show. This is great. You know, and recently watching the Olympics, we saw one example of a lot of automation, seeing all the snow production and creation that was that, that was done in in China, right? I think that was really interesting to see. So, you know, our snow sports may see may see more automation in the future. Hopefully our local resorts when we're missing some of that snow. As we think about the future of industrial automation, you know, there's sort of the current land- landscape and then there's the future, kind of looking out ahead, maybe 10 to 20 years out. And that's kind of how I want to direct our time together, kind of looking at the current state, talking about the future. And then at the end, I'd love to get some advice from both of you on those that might be affected from some of these shifts that are coming. How can they prepare and think differently as they plan for the future and they're more prepared for changes that might come? To get started with the current state, industrial automation is it's a loaded word. Unpack that for us a little bit and help us understand like what goes into industrial automation. What are we talking about when we say that word? It can mean a lot of things, Jeff. I think that uh, it's about as open-ended of a you know, definition as it gets. I would say anything from automotive, aerospace, oil and gas, chemical industry, warehouse distribution, anything like that can kind of all get lumped into industrial. Um, at Design Group, we try to you know, categorize it a little bit and we, we lump a lot of things into just general heavy industry. But basically any kind of automation that that it you know is is geared toward producing either you know a product is based is what i would call industrial automation what do you think marco yeah i wanted to call back to our one of our previous podcasts with with mitch and we talked about robotics and we used to have this really simplistic it was just really helpful for us to think about you know what does automation mean to us and for mitch and myself well we had different focuses and we we made um, you know a circle around anything with wheels was a was a robot, and anything that worked did work in a manufacturing space, logistics center, or perform you know tests and, and functions that were directed on a on a closed environment was really more what industrial automation was. And so, you know, I think that you know it's convenient at least for categorization to think about you know closed environments and open environments or you know fixed environments and and unstructured environments as one way and i think traditionally industrial automation has lived in the fixed environment space 
but I think when we, you know, we should talk about this more today as we, as we look towards the future, those things I think are, are quickly blending or, or the future is going to be a mix of both of those. The lines are being blurred for sure. I mean, you'd almost lump building automation, especially when you consider data centers and the technology going into those, you know, is, is really industrial automation uh, principles. And I remember listening to your other podcast on future construction. And again, it's like a lot of the same stuff is, is being applied, same technology, same concepts, uh, same problems to solve. I'm glad you guys are bringing this up, sort of the blurring of things and like what has historically been automation, like what is opening up our world as we think about the future? Because I think that is part of our future discussion really is, is the unstructured environment, is the confluence of all these things coming together and blurring, which as we think about the industrial revolution, the fourth industrial revolution that that we've been reading about, it's really about the, the confluence of technologies. It's like stuff that already exists, but is now coming together in really interesting ways. As we think about, but if we stay in the current state for a little bit, what are some of the trends that are happening right now that are really impacting the acceleration of automation? Yeah, I think that there's there's really there's two sides to it that are coming together and, and they're forming this confluence or, or forming this confluence and inflection point, which are, you know, we see a tremendous impact of, you know, let's call it Moore's Law. The equipment is, the cost of the equipment is coming down the computing power is getting cheaper and smaller. The sensors and the capability of the sensors are all really becoming much more powerful, especially when you put them together and the, and are able to integrate them. And that's giving a tremendous advantage, you know, more than orders of magnitude of advantage in in the solution space and power of what you can do with the equipment. And then on the other side, you know, we see there's constraints in our in our workforce or constraints in uh, you know what we might call the COVID effects, which are accelerating it. But there's a lot of factors coming together that are that are enabling and creating like something that hasn't been able we haven't been able to achieve is you know these return on investments now are becoming much more easier with with all this power and technology behind it. And that's one of the really big you know uh, waves that we're riding here. Yeah, maybe to add on to what Marco was saying, and the trends I'm seeing now is, is the integration between the, the business level, the enterprise level software and the manufacturing floor. I mean, that's been talked about and we've been all saying we're going to you know do this at every business for a while. It's happening, uh, you know, and that it really comes down to a, a principle of sharing information between devices. And that's kind of where things are going. We're just now getting to the point where everything has information. It's faster to connect. It's faster to get that information to other places. We're only using the data we need. We're not, you know, storing thousands of, you know, camera pictures on servers and never looking at them again. And then one thing to mention that's a trend is definitely collaborative robots and being able to take automation and bring it to the smaller manufacturers and having humans interacting with these robots where, you know, safety is is easy. It's sort of this, I would call it like ease of use automation where the users now, it's a user-friendly platform. You don't have to be a veteran controls engineer like myself to set up a, a cobot. You can be a, a technician or even, you know, a lot of production managers, production engineers, they can get a cobot working and actually, you know, something useful uh, quickly. So going along even deeper, these like the trends that, that you talked about, especially the technology trends, sort of these confluence of things sort of coming together. And I really like the notion of software kind of connecting down with the machine automations and systems. You know, software has been on a, a rapid sort of accelerated pace, but it seems like the industrial automation equipment 
that has sort of served automation has sort of been left behind a little bit. Now we see that trajectory kind of coming together, right? As things get better, cheaper, faster. Let's dive in on the the pandemic and sort of the global supply chain uh, shortage that we've seen. We have hundreds of thousands of businesses worldwide that have been impacted by this, if not, you know, billions of consumers for sure. And so that leaves a mark, a serious mark in the minds of people kind of thinking about, you know, changes. And we've seen so many changes as a result of this in all of our work. But how does that change industrial automation? How does that accelerate industrial automation? I think that what that mark is or partially contributing to it is that we've exposed areas where we're fragile in in these supply chains. And they're fragile because, you know, just, you know, we call it sometimes like they're the dull, dirty, dangerous, or they're just, they're not the desirable jobs. And people are looking at this and saying, it's not necessarily a place I need to return to, or there's some aspect around these jobs where there's maybe more attractive jobs in other places and people are, are somehow shifting away from these. And what that means for automation is that these are great opportunities for automation to come in and play a role in augmenting the workforce that at the end of the day, aren't jobs that, that folks are really well-suited for to begin with. And it was just really out of necessity that, that we're dealing with these or, or whatever the reasons are. But now they're exposed, these sore spots, and, and you know, automation has a space there, a, a place to play and supplement. Yeah, and I'd say you can do all that remotely now as part of what, you know, the pandemic allowed is, you know, those few folks that that do have that the skill set that that's needed now can play in, on projects all over the place and we can bring that manufacturing environment to, you know, to wherever you are in the world. Uh, the more that we're we're connected in that way, I think that's what's accelerating, but on the other hand, the supply chain issues are actually hindering some progress in industrial um, automation because people just can't get the hardware they need. I mean, I have clients right now when they want a, a new autom- you know production line, they're ordering their controllers six months in advance, and it's really hard to be you know producing new process or creating new manufacturing process when you don't have hardware. Got it. So speaking of that. There's been a new expectation, you know, with all this ordering online about the speed of delivery. And we have Amazon leading the way in many respects as the leading, uh, you know, e-commerce, online e-commerce platform with the, you know, delivery time. So how is that, you know, and that seems to only be increasing. You know, we have like hour type deliveries and one day deliveries instead of two day deliveries. We also have the the shortages and the supply chain issues sort of causing some disruption there. But how do you, we see that also speeding up industrial automation in the future? Well, the analytics that you're talking about that run the logistics for distribution are being applied to manufacturing. You know, now that we can bring that information from the factory floor up to those analytics engines, you're getting companies that are investing in, you know, manufacturing smarts, you know, whether it's machines that are self-diagnostic, whether it's having, you know, optimization of your process, learning how, you know, to reduce waste, things like that, more success, you know, less part failures, more successful rates of production, things like that. It's all being applied throughout the industry. And we've seen Amazon go out and build distribution centers all over and that and just the intelligence is telling them, where do I need to put this so that I can deliver? And how much, how many items do I put in that center to probabilistically, you know, deliver so many of the items that people are going to want to anticipate, you know, 
they're instead of becoming reactive, now they're they're on the leading edge, being anticipating what people are going to demand and need and want, and that's because they have this information, which is really powerful. Thanks for those insights. We actually heard from one other outside expert on the future, and let's listen now to their insights. Hi, I'm Jeff Gable, and I just joined Fresh as Automation Director about a month ago. I have a long history in automation. I've been in the business for about 36 years with brief forays into some product development and product realization. I've been both an external integrator and an internal automation resource. I've automated entire factories and then run those factories in in high production settings um, where we're making 30,000 units a day. There's always an impetus to be ahead of the curve in any industry, but what do you think will be the next big step forward in industrial automation? I think what we're going to see next is articulated and scare robotic arms mounted. We always see this mounted to platforms, but being able to do real work where they are just not tethered to anything at all, and they have the ability to find the work piece find the part feeder and pick and place the part or do whatever assembly is necessary. And they do it all on wheels. And that'll be a really big step. That'll change the whole face of things. So we have the lack of labor, the cost of labor, kind of the speed of delivery increasing. We have all these advances of of technology. We have a lot of companies running on just-in-time manufacturing still. And we have the the shortages at the same time, right? And the and this global disruption of the supply chain, this pain, all of these things are kind of affecting the outlook on industrial automation and and the pace and the acceleration. If I go talk to business owners, none of them are saying, "Hey, I don't want more automation." Everyone wants more automation. Sean, you had mentioned that like just getting the equipment right now, given the current climate, as is holding us back. What else is holding, you know, companies back right now from doing more automation? If that's such a high desire right now and it's coming, what is currently, what are some of the things that are holding people back? Willingness to take risk. I mean, I think there's a lot of dinosaurs in industrial automation. You know, we're talking about places that have 40-year-old control systems that are hanging on by a few Band-Aids and they don't want to make that capital investment again to catch up. And the companies that just started in the last 10 years, you know, the relativity space and there's companies that are doing all this cutting edge technology because they're able to put their capital into automation and they, they're they seeing the immediate rewards of it. Whereas, you know, a lot of these people are being left behind because they're not willing to take risk and that they're usually slow to market or slow. You know, it, it takes them a lot longer to to actually get something running in a facility compared to kind of these light speed businesses uh, that we see now. It's something that I've talked about in the manufacturing space, and I've seen this all the way back from my days at Microsoft. It's management's willingness to invest and at least be progressive thinking and seeing that if I don't change, if I don't adopt, I'm going to get left behind. And, and some industries and some some folks are just particularly, they're more suited to that and it's a trap. And, you know, automation can't, you know, sometimes it's big, expensive and capital intensive, but you don't necessarily have to take the plunge all at once. But it comes down to, you know, change management and mindset from the man from the, you know, the exec, exec level down. And it's something that I've seen repeatedly around the world, no matter where, again, in Europe, Asia, U.S., I've seen the best and worst factories in terms of automation and management thought. And honestly, 
they've both been in the U.S. You know, I've seen some of the most advanced progressive thinking people doing amazing things that is just part of their culture. It's built in and other folks who have just been completely resistant to change and, and they haven't survived. Yeah, I think a lot of businesses think automation is always lights out and that there's no people and it has to be all robots and it has to be all high speed. But that's not necessarily the case. There's a lot of companies that I'm doing manual assist or hybrid manufacturing that's still way better than making it by hand. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, manual operations still out there and people are getting carpal tunnel. There's, you know, lawsuits, things. And and all of a sudden that's already justified. You, you've got your ROI already there. and But it doesn't mean you have to make it you know, massive robots that are that are making your product. There's there's a lot of clever ways to do it, and and finding the appropriate automation you know solution for your company is, I think, the challenge that you know all these companies are faced with. Yeah, I like that perspective of just you know, hey, if it's just a, a piece of automation here or there, take away that repetitive, mundane task that you're struggling to find labor for because people don't want to do it. Hey, if you uh, if you took that piece and improved that piece, your flywheel becomes a lot faster. But that doesn't mean hey. Hey, I'm replacing a whole bunch, my entire team of people that are on the factory line or in the warehouse or in the supply chain because it's been automated. It's just a piece. I think we also saw that with uh, Tesla, right? They tried to like do too much automation. They realized like, hey, we got to bring the the humans back in. We got to bring that intellect back in. That that all that power that's in the mind and the 27 degrees of freedom in your hand, right? Like combine the hand with the elbow, with the arm and the ability to think on the fly, like in front of a computer. You know, it's like there's so much power there, right? You know, and so, hey, are we augmenting a piece in the equation or are we being really thoughtful about what we automate? I think that's that's part of good planning. I think, you know, like you said, being thoughtful about it in automation, people might think of it as automation is opposite of people or, you know, exclusive of people. But I really think, again, the approach and the mindset is you have to bring people. It's about it's about people, actually. Automation is about people. Using robots is about how do we bring the people along, include them in the process, help them understand this is for their benefit. Most companies, you know, one of these other really big trends is, is that people are not, uh, companies are not trying to replace, replace their people. They're trying to augment them. And that's a message I've seen extremely strongly uh, over and over again, again, lots of different places. It's they need, you know, they want their flywheel to be more efficient, but they're, they're not trying to replace the people. They, they have need and use for those people and they want to go on the automation journey together with their people and involve them in that process. Great. So we've talked a little bit about the current state, some of the shifting forces, some of the problems and innovation often begets problems. And I would assume some of these business owners that might be a little bit more reluctant are feeling enough pain that they're joining the everyone else, you know, maybe that's the bandwagon, but like everyone else is really centered around this topic uh, most recently. If we look to the future, you know, let's fast forward like 10 to 20 years from now, like, you know, we've heard this term, the fourth industrial revolution, and can unpack that a little bit, but what do we see changing significantly? What are some of the things that are going to, you know, kind of change our world, change our work? Talk to us more about how you guys envision the future in this space. When I talk about controls, I always say your controls are only as good as your feedback or your process is only as good as what you know about it. And so what we talked about earlier about just the, the information, you know, revolution of getting information from all the devices in your factory and using them appropriately. That is what I see 20 years from now is, you know, the nano wireless 
revolution where I don't have to go wire up a machine. You just go mount your sensors. Everything's talking back to a, you know, an encrypted wireless hub that's going to then give the information to the controller for your, your line automation or whatever. But there's no more installation of low voltage devices. Everything's going to be wireless. And then bringing things to market is just going to be way faster. There's products I worked on or prototype manufacturing systems that took four, four and a half years to develop for aerospace companies. And they're super challenging. And, and you know, there's reasons it took a while, but maybe now that would take six months. And that's the sort of the change that I'm seeing is that because of standardization and having libraries and, and you know, reuse of code and applications that, you know, controls engineers are living on the application and process layer and not having to do low level, you know, programming. And I see that happening more and more to where, you know, we can do way more projects in a year, deliver automation solutions way faster. And, you know, without the bog down of installation and wiring and, and getting things to play nicely and communicate, everything's just going to happen faster. Yeah, I think that the the infrastructure is definitely changing. And one of the directions I see is the transition from, again, the closed or the structured environment, you know, the traditional assembly line, which is a very structured environment. When we talk about there's the automation process and there's the supply chain of bringing the part to there, that's the very closed, structured way that I think, you know, again, if I was to define industrial automation, that's one of the attributes. And with the power of all this, all the sensors and software, I see us being able to transition into this unstructured environment or we're linking these closed environments now together. The We're using the AGVs to bring the materials to the front of the line. We're packaging and positioning and extending the line so that it's the end of one production line is the beginning of another. And so all of a sudden, these things that used to be standalone units are all networked together, right? And this is a more open environment. And sometimes we're linking the site or across multiple sites, you know, AGVs or vehicles are bringing materials from one building to the next. So now we're in this really diverse environment and, you know, what is automation? Automation is, is more than it is the wheeled robot. Now it is the robot arm. It is the conveyor belt. It's everything being orchestrated and working together. And that's, you know, something that we've called, you know, like the overwatch layer, right? Like everything is going to be orchestrated in the, in the data, in the cloud or in the, um, the control at the control layer that Sean's also been talking about, like, it's not just analytics, it's now how do we control and operate everything. And it's this really, the synchronization orchestration of all these systems working together is where I see the next 10 and 20 years uh, automation going and, and growing. To add to what Mark was saying, I could see automation becoming more of a service or even a product. So, you know, Joe Beer Company orders a canning line, a a palletizer and a few AGVs for the next month and he orders it from an app and Canning Co. Inc. comes and delivers all that and and sets it up and runs it for a few months for their, you know, annual specialty beer that they do every October or whatever, right? And like that, it's becoming so modular and common and reusable that it, it is almost now a commodity. Got it. So things are really speeding up. We're looking at more unstructured environments, more open environments, including robotics like autonomous or automated guided vehicles, the AGVs that are integrated into the workflow. 
And it's not like this closed ecosystem where maybe it's hard to have people around. It's more of a, a fluid environment where you can en- enables us to basically automate in a lot of different places, right? And bring automation to uh, a lot of different environments that were previously configured, you know, specifically for automation. Or to keep people out. Yeah. A lot of these traditional spaces were exclusive of people. You know, it's not good to have people near a bottling line with 300 bottles a minute zipping by, right? Like these are not safe environments. And now when we're opening up this environment, it's also, again, it's inclusive of people. People are interacting. People may be playing a part, again, in conjunction with the the automation. And and that's the direction where, where we definitely see things. Yeah, safety basically becoming, you know, modular and known and easier to deploy and easier to work with. And as opposed to just being a nuisance, which is often how it's looked at in in industrial automation. It's part of the system design and it's inherent in the solution. Got it. So if we think about the fourth industrial revolution, you know, the first being water and steam, the second being electric power, the third being electronics and information technology, and the fourth being characterized by this fusion of technologies that affects industrial automation, if we can name a few of those things, AI, you know, cloud, IoT, blockchain, AR, computer vision, you guys mentioned robotics, drones, batteries, you know, battery advancements. Tell us more about how these things affect uh, industrial automation, you know, uh, pick out a few of these things and tell us like, well, oh, how does that play a role in speeding up and affecting industry. Like this is the fourth industrial revolution. People hear about this, but get into some of the specifics, help us understand how that plays out in automation. That goes up on that list. And Sean mentioned it is, is the wireless infrastructure. Low latency wireless is a huge enabler just from the data collection or the infrastructure. Like you said, it's, it's a game changer in the sense of you just, you know, you take your, your widget and you plop it on the line and it's talking to the cloud and you're already set to go. There's no, there's no special installation. There's no uh, infrastructure that's really, you know, significant or heavy. And, and you know, that's huge. And that belongs in that conversation. You see it play out where, you you know, you show up to your machine, you plug in a new sensor, and the controller reads a data sheet that's already on the sensor that tells the controller what it is, how to configure it. It sets it up in your code for you. And then you write your code, and your code actually creates the human interface for you. So there's some clients I'm working with now where we write our PLC code, and that code is actually like taken and converted into a format that's then now a human-machine interface. And it, it's still a little primitive in, in how it works, but you know, not having to develop a touchscreen interface for every production line. Instead, when you write that software, it's already in a format that can now be you know, automated into an interface, cutting out those steps uh, so that everything, like nowadays, all a tech has a communication protocol. We're not using discrete digital you know, and analog signals to talk to devices. So you get way less wiring. Every, you, know, you can have a lot of distributed systems. Everything's now a distributed system. Uh, you can use a fault-tolerant, redundant server that lives you know, in a different you know, room instead of putting a Dell tower you know, to run your whole automation work cell, which I always thought was crazy. But you know, that's where I'm actually seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. And it still blows my mind that we have, you know, $15 million (laughs) of machinery running on a thousand dollar Dell tower. Uh, You know, it just never made sense to me. What are the challenges that we face in industrial automation today? 
I don't know if it's a challenge or not, but I think one of the interesting things out there is, is how do the uh, new suite of mobile robotic platforms affect how we lay out production lines? Because up until recently, everything was laid out as a rigid transfer system where parts were moved down the line through different cells. But with the introduction of mobile robotics, that's all changing. And, uh, you know, there are big questions about the stability of the platform and the accuracy of the platform and what all you can do with that, with a limited power budget. But it is going to change the face of of automation in in the next decade. And it's going to be a very interesting change. As far as computer vision, you know, that's a word, like helping computers see and then AI, lots of variants of AI, but Uh, How do we see computer vision and AI kind of affecting industrial automation? Inspection systems are just way better than they've ever been before. So quality control is no longer a person. Or if it is, there's way less people. And then, you know, vision-guided robots is is becoming, you know, actually a pretty easy thing to implement. Um, I know a a company in Portland who does prototype robotic stuff that they're working on a a cinematography uh, robot that's literally doing filming of commercials and they've set it up so that the production people can run the robot and tell it what to do and tell it, you know, and it doesn't require a controls engineer to sit there writing vision algorithms anymore. Everything's already done for you. It's a matter of reuse and making it user-friendly. The AI aspects, uh, I mean, you know, vision enables you to put the sensors in again, whatever, if it's a camera or any other type of sensor as an input, you know, we're collecting the data. And again, we can be smart about which data to collect, but the the converse is, you know, sensors are becoming cheap and you can sprinkle them everywhere and you can store the data and you can put it up into the cloud. And then you can task, it's an impossible problem for a human to solve, but now you sprinkle on your your AI, whatever your your flavor of AI is, and there's tremendous insights and value to that come out of that. And we've seen this, you know, case study over and over again. There's things that you just wouldn't have, that weren't intuitive, that are you're now being able to improve your process, increase your quality, increase your speed. And, you know, those are just some of the benefits that are coming out that just, they weren't, it wasn't capable. You couldn't do this 10 years ago that now we're able to do. Speed is a big one. You, you know, processing speed was something that was really holding back a lot of vision applications. Uh, I know I looked at an inspection problem last year where uh, we're looking for nanometer size defects on a product that's moving two meters per second down the line. And that's incredibly challenging, right? And 10 years ago, no chance, you know, that that's a science experiment. It's not an automation project. And now that kind of stuff is reality. Now those companies that are willing to take those risks to try those kind of techniques technologies are seeing the benefits of just incredible production rates. What about 3D printing? You know, we talk a lot about mass scale automation, but there's also this big trend for small scale automation and 3D printing continues to make, you know, massive leaps forward. Any thoughts on how that's going to change the future? You know, I think that that also was a niche or something barely possible 10 years ago to, to, to make something. And now, People said, and people that had the vision said, you know, we will be making production level parts, not just prototypes using additive methods. And, and they were right. And so I, I still don't think that you've, you know, it's, it's being adopted slowly across industries, but it's coming, it's continued to coming. It'll continue to, to get here. It could be a huge game changer. I don't know that it's there yet, 
But often what I find in manufacturing is that the material handling is is the hardest part. Like at the actual process, whatever it is, isn't as hard as actually getting whatever it is you're using into the machine in the right orientation, set up right to the tolerance that you want. And 3D printing kind of takes care of all of that. And so if you're able to use composites, able to, you know, build structures and, you know, complex, you know, designs with, you know, these 3D printers and have them somewhat mobile and adaptable, they could very much change the game. Yeah. And we're talking about it as, as, you know, not quite there, but it's like, it's almost there on a number of fronts. It's, you know, like a rocket engine parts, like that's how they're building rocket engine parts that are lighter weight, more reliable. That industry, you know, was right for that technology and they've taken it and run with it. And it's just going to continue to keep going. I, you know, we've seen it in, uh, like you mentioned, carbon fiber, but it's close. We're close to having really high strength plastic parts instead of injection molding, right? Like it's not quite there. It's there for maybe some niche uh, applications, but we're really close. How do we see uh, automation in the future shifting the landscape of outsourcing? We've heard a lot of trend of you know manufacturing, a lot of automation coming back to the U.S., whereas historically we've outsourced a lot of our high volume manufacturing just because of the cost of labor and how that cost of labor is helping with you know automated production. But uh, cost of labor has gone up around the world. And then we've seen, as connected as we are, we've seen the value of being having a really tightly connected supply chain get disrupted. And so there's a lot of talk about manufacturing and industrial automation really coming back to be a competitive advantage here in the U.S. Is that something you see shifting, you know, big global shifts in, in the next 10 to 20 years? I do. I mean, I think it's as automation gets cheaper and people cost more, you're just going to see more of it in more places. As you know, and I know a lot of the, the mass productions that are in you know China, you know, places like that. There's no reason that that it can't come to the U.S. to Europe, and you're seeing it more in the really advanced tech sector, um, where you know those companies aren't necessarily going um, overseas anymore. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it it had been you know the manufacturing the high volume manufacturing space and the supply chain had been driven by low cost labor and all of that labor, you know, was the manufacturing jobs just like followed the labor, right? And labor's increasing. The disruptions in physical supply chain, ports, geopolitics, all these factors play into, you know, again, pandemics play all play into things that are disrupting or exposing, again, the fragility of, of long supply chains. And I think that what, you know, when folks look at like total cost of ownership of a product and, you know, you're looking down through the supply chain, there's a good 10 or 12 factors there. And people typically get hung up and fixed it, fixed on, on labor, part cost, maybe shipping timelines. But there's these other nine factors that are all equal important if you can't get all your parts and materials together in the same spot. So I think that when we're talking about the supply chain, we're really going to be seeing, it's just not, it's not just the labor. We need to make the supply chain more robust, which inherently means more localized, closer, shorter networks who are more reactive and able to, you know, connect raw materials all the way through and, and products, but in a more uh, localized network space. And, I, and that's where I think we're going. We're super connected worldwide. And that, that trend has enabled us to do just advance in so many different ways. But the recent disruption in that 
has sort of created this trend to have more localized environments because we have better technology and advances that allow us to have that footprint locally. Yeah. And I don't think it, you know, it's not going, we're not changing. This isn't going to go away, but I think there's going to be more hybrid, more of a hybrid approach where we're not going to be as centralized uh, for one particular component of the supply chain in one particular location and be as reliant on that as we were in the past. I still think that there are, when you get down all the way down to, to the commodity level components, there we're going to be distributing materials globally worldwide, but people are be supplementing locally as well. Let's talk a little bit about the human experience and like how this affects people. How do we see that this rise in automation changing the you know human experience? They're calling this, you know, again, the fourth industrial revolution. And each revolution has caused sort of massive changes, shifts in how we work and interact. So thoughts on how this affects people? I think better jobs. You know, a lot of people think it's removing jobs, but really you see one operator that works on 10 different process lines instead of one operator that just does one task all day. And I, you know, I think that that ability to sort of be, you know, flexible and more skilled within each task is just growing and you're going to have better jobs for people and more demand for skilled labor. I, I also think, you know, along those lines, you know, today, when we, some of the more advanced robotic applications or automation installations, we're still kind of tending the robot. You know, we're bringing things to it. We're taking things away. We're overseeing it. We're, we're giving it a lot of uh, attention and we're not really always in a truly autonomous state yet. But as we build out these networks and get more sophisticated and we can remove ourselves from that environment, and again, we think about that supervisory role you know, one person's overseeing multiple and orchestrating and helping do that. And then eventually a lot of that will be able to self-sustaining or taking over by itself. But again, on the other side, we have, we'll be creating these, you know, we shouldn't forget about the environments that, you know, people will be in and we need to think about how people are interacting and the types of interactions that will be taking place in, in, in the automated spaces as well. And so, there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of thought that needs to to be applied into these interactions and how do we design and create, you know, it's a different type of workspace and it's a new opportunity to think about that. Different type of workspace, different skills, right? Less monotony, more autonomy. What sort of jobs do you see being created as a result of this? You know, it's like you guys are both engineers, you're, you've been experts in the space, but as this blows up, you know, if we have 10 times more automation in the the U.S. or in in other countries, like what sort of jobs do you see being being created as a result? Technicians, maintenance, and technicians, people to support it, and you know, when after five years of a production line running, that you may completely retool and change, and you don't want to bring in an army of programmers again. You you just want your technicians to take care of the changes. Uh, you're going to need people to maintain them. All those robots we talk about, there's typically six motors in them, and they wear out. The gearboxes wear out pretty fast when they're you know running twenty four seven, and so people that can disassemble, reassemble, uh, skilled mechanics skilled electricians, uh, and then IT, which is sort of, again, a blurred line of engineering or information technology, especially when it comes to the manufacturing level. I, I really think there's a there's a demand for you know IT professionals that understand the OT and the IT uh, to the same level 
you know, th- that's already there. Uh, but I, I just see that continuing to grow. Can you tell the audience what OT stands for? Operations technology as opposed to information technology. Once you have this piece of equipment, whatever it is, robots, automation, an advanced manufacturing line, now instead of folks that are their time is occupied by like feeding the machine or or doing this monotonous task, there's this great opportunity in front of them. You know, the machines do need tending. They need to understand how they're working. They need maintenance. There's opportunities to be programming. And, you know, right now we have, you know, we have outside experts that are being com- called in to do that. But, you know, I think the uh, there's a potential evolution here where uh, the sophisticated manufacturers will lean on that help and get specialized help where they, where they need, but it's also then start to build that discipline in-house as well so that the operations and the day-to-day can be covered by the folks that they have. And they, and they want to keep those people in task and do that. And that's an elevated task for them. Where do you see people fitting into the future of industrial automation? Industrial automation certainly requires an upgrade in the skill set of the factory floor personnel, but realistically, it doesn't change the role so much. It mostly takes away the mundane, boring parts of their jobs and allows them to all become work supervisors. It's a hedge against the, the tendency to offshore production capacity in the United States and allows us to have high quality jobs that are meaningful to do, but don't require backbreaking work. So you have new jobs that where you're building systems, you're designing them, you're then maintaining them, you're fixing them. You have people babysitting the robots, changing their diapers or their gearboxes. So basically it's a big new job creation, kind of similar to maybe some of the other industrial revolutions. It's sort of a shift in the types of jobs but you still have people that are like left in the wake of if, if a job got replaced, you know, hey, I'm doing that monotonous thing. I got used to that. I've been doing that for a while. So during the pandemic, we had people, you know, just change gears completely and say, hey, I don't want to go back to this sort of monotonous work or this type of work. And then we have people that have been in those jobs. So kind of rounding out our discussion today, if you're one of those people that where their job got replaced and they're thinking of what's new, or if, if they're one of those people kind of coming into the education environment, thinking about what sort of skills should I be getting for the next 10 to 20 years? What advice would you give from a educational perspective, from a retraining perspective? What are some of the spaces that people should be paying attention to and getting some training in? First off, just don't be afraid of tech. And all of us, even the, the brightest, you know, controls guys, all they do is spend every day in tech. They still struggle the first time that they're learning something, that it's okay to see some new technology and not understand it. And don't be afraid of that. Be willing to embrace it. Have an open mind that you can learn, you know, these different skills. And that often, you know, a six months, a two-year degree, things like that are are game changers when it, you know, when it comes to the types of jobs uh, that'll be available to you. Yeah, I'm seeing that in, you know, the tech technical college space. The curriculum at some of the local two-year programs are amazing. We've seen companies, major OEMs that are now utilizing them as that transition, you know, help us upskill and, and send their pe- their workforce to these programs so that they can manage that change as well. So, you know, it's, again, it's a mindset as well that, that one, it, it, you don't have to be a computer programmer anymore. 
right? You don't have to have that engineering degree. Also, these interfaces to these devices are getting easier and easier. All these machines are getting easier to interface with. So the barrier to entry is also, you know, coming down with this technology increasing. But, um, you know, that's just the realization that it's not that far off or it's not a big stretch anymore. It's within grasp for a lot of people. Yeah. Designing and implementing an industrial automation system was much harder 30 years ago than it is today. And the guys who came before me, when I stumble upon a design in the field from 30 years ago, I'm often just blown away of like, well, wow, they only had eight bits to do this. Like, how did they get all this information? And like, you, you see like, oh, wow, they did this really clever thing. It probably took this guy six months to do that. And then everybody has to be able to understand it. Well, nowadays, none of that even comes up. And, you know, the, these folks are being exposed to tech, but you're only having to see the surface and you really only have to understand the surface of it to be able to use it and apply it. You, you know, and, and that's allowing just way more access to everybody. So a lot more jobs in the future related to this space and also kind of a lower barrier to entry is what I'm hearing. It's, it doesn't have to be as intimidating. Uh, so that could mean some of the education or some of the retraining could come faster as we think about some displacement. Yes, it's going to be integration. It's going to be augmentation, but we're still going to have some displacement as new jobs are created. But that what I'm hearing maybe is that process could go, could be a little bit faster, maybe less expensive and less intimidating. Yeah, and I think that there's a responsibility by the folks implementing it to make sure that they're bringing their people along for that ride. And there's a lot of, um, we're doing this with the client right now. We're going to go, they, they want to take the first step into automation and and they want to keep every single person in their facility. And so we're sending them surveys, we're soliciting ideas, we're, we're going to go talk to the people and they realize that their people are their best resource and they have the best ideas and the best input into this. And then they're, you know, I think they're doing it the right way. They're like, let our people lead us on this mission. The operators, uh, you know, and production folks know more about the process than the engineer who's writing, you know, the, the code to make it all automated. And so we still rely on on those people. And everything that you see that's automated was usually once made manually. And that's how they come up with the automated process is by watching how it's done manually and then just trying to replicate it with the machine. There's still a lot of value in understanding how things are manually done, even as we get into automation. So those that are doing more manual process could be experts in helping create the automation. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And I think the more we understand this space and the less we fear it, you know, and I think if for those that are fearing the, the, the future, some of the changes that, that come with this, you know, I think that that general principle applies here where you can think about how you embrace the change versus fear the change that, that's coming. This has been really helpful. I really appreciate you guys educating us as experts in the industrial automation space, helping us think about the future that's coming, help us think about how to prepare as humans or leaders or business owners so we can process this and anticipate how we embrace the future also. So thanks for being on the show, Sean. It was great having you. Marco, great having you and appreciate your insights. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Sean, for joining us. Appreciate it. The Future of Podcast is brought to you by Fresh Consulting. To find out more about how we pair design and technology together to shape the future, visit us at freshconsulting.com. Make sure to search for The Future of an Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our future episodes. And on behalf of our team here at Fresh, thank you for listening.